0: All right, so we are finishing our series that we've been going through the past few weeks where we're looking at Old Testament commands that seem pretty clear but very unclear in the New Testament and trying to understand, well, how do we obey those things in light of Jesus? And so, you know, we've talked about celebrating, we've talked about the Sabbath, and today we're talking about everybody's favorite topic, tithing. And I know, you know, whenever the preacher gets up and says, hey, the sermon today is on money, you get a little nervous, think, oh, great. The church wants more money. The preacher wants more money. There's something uh, that they want. I'm just going to tell you, this sermon is not about what we want from you. This sermon is about what God wants to do through you, through tithing and through giving. And so what we're going to do is I'm just going to go through a lot of different Bible passages and verses that talk about tithing and giving, and we're just going to explore what they mean and what Jesus um, calls us to do. But where I really want to start is I want to start with an example of a church that understood this, that got this right. So in Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 32, we read this account. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. So I really want to point out in just those few verses to you that it says God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. Like that is the reason that there weren't any needs in the church. It wasn't that there were just enough wealthy people and just enough money floating around. It was because God's grace was so powerfully at work that that is how everybody's needs got met and everybody was willing to work together to take care of one another. And I really want to understand what the early church understood about giving because how wonderful would it be to be a church where there are no needs? Like, everybody's need gets met. Everybody is taken care of. And wouldn't it be wonderful to experience God's grace working so powerfully amongst us that that begins to happen? So I want to know, what did they understand that maybe we don't understand? What were they doing that maybe we're not doing? And so I just kind of want to look through some Bible passages to help us get a handle on maybe what the early church knew about tithing and giving. So let's just just start with the basics. What is the tithe? So pretty basic Old Testament teaching on the tithe is it's 10%. Although I'll tell you, uh, you read quite a few of these passages and you find out that maybe all the, there are three different tithes. And so maybe all of them together was more like twenty three point three 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 repeating percent, but that's another issue. But over and over there's commands where God asks his people to bring 10% 10% to him, at least, and he's going to use that for various purposes that he has. And he says that because it belongs to him, because it's holy for him, so he, he wants that from us. So, you know, you go through the Old Testament, you can find all these verses on tithing, and then you flip into the New Testament, and there's hardly anything. I mean, there's a few verses in Hebrews that uses the word tithe, but it refers back to stuff in the Old Testament, So it's like, well, what do we do? There's lots of verses, like what we read in Acts, about followers of Jesus being generous with what they had and giving and living radically sacrificial lives. You know, but if you're looking for that really clear verse where Jesus said, you know, thou shalt give 10% to your local church, it's not in there. It's like, so what do we do? There's all this stuff in the Old Testament, and you get to the New Testament, and people seem to do something with their money. But what do we do? And so you've probably, you know, I'm sure heard it said that because of Jesus, we aren't under the Old Testament law anymore. You're probably familiar with Jesus' teaching in Matthew where he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And we have to make sure we understand what fulfill means. Fulfill does not mean rip out the Old Testament and throw it in the trash because we don't need it anymore. Fulfill means to complete something or to bring what was promised or desired. So what Jesus is doing is saying that all of the Old Testament, all of God's laws and commands are meant to prepare his people for something greater, something that Jesus was coming to accomplish and to begin. And that's a little bit of what the New Testament means when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, that there's something greater that God has in mind, and he's been preparing us for that through the Old Testament. So this week, what I did in preparing for this sermon is I found every single verse in the Bible that uses the word, the word tithe or give or money or talks about God taking care of us or what God wants us to do with our I found as many money, tithing, giving-related verses as I could, and I made a huge list of them, and then I just read through all of them, and I just made observations as I went. And I just want to share a few of those with you. One pattern that I notice, I put into a chart form to help us understand, is over and over and over, all these verses about tithing use this similar formula. There's the input, what God wants us to bring. So a lot of times that he says, bring the tithes. Or he'll say, bring your, you know, your contribution or your gift or your free will offering or whatever it is. He tells us what to bring. And then he always tells us where to place it. So very frequently that's in the Old Testament, you'll read about bring it to the storeroom of God or the place where he will put his name, which means the temple, once they build the temple. Or in the New Testament, it's, they bring it to the apostles' feet or they bring it to the church. There's always like a gathering place for this. And then God says, here's what you use the money for. And both Old and New Testament give parallel uses for the money that we bring to God. And they're parallel, but the applications are just a little bit different because of the, the time and the history and the situations. So, for example, both Old and New Testaments say that that money is used to help the least of these, Name, namely foreigners, people who are poor, widows, orphans. The money is for that. The money is used for ministry. Sometimes that's taking care of the temple or the church. It's meeting needs within the church. It's to do ministry and evangelism and discipleship, which means sending and supporting missionaries. We see the New Testament do that a lot. And both also mention That, you know, in the Old Testament, these ties is how they're going to take care of the priests because the priests don't have another job. Their job is to do ministry at the temple. And in the New Testament, that same logic is used to argue, use this money to help pay your pastors because this is what we do, right? All of us on staff, we could have taken other jobs, doing completely other things and been making way more money. But God says, hey, this is how he wants to help take care of us for the work that we do. So God gives us those uses and he says, so here's what I want you to bring Here's where you bring it, and then here's what we're going to use it for. And he, he lays that out, New and Old Testament. And so after reading all of those different verses, I came to this definition of tithing. Tithing and giving in the Bible is at the very least, at the very least, it's regularly giving money and possessions to God through your local church for the good of God's kingdom. So because for some reason God, and I think he does this because it's a part of worship, it's a part of our community we bring it together. It's not about what so much what we can all do individually, but it's what we can do individually together as a community and how we can work together. And so God sets that up. So after just reading all these verses, I'm convinced that there's a particular kind of generosity God calls us to that is for his kingdom. So it's different than, you know, when you buy a box of Girl Scout cookies to support the Girl Scouts Or, you know, you help out at a school fundraiser and give money to other efforts. It's not that those things are bad and we can't be generous in other things, but it's that God commands a special kind of generosity that comes through the local church to be part of his mission and his kingdom in the world. He just does it over and over and over. And so I think that means the early church understood that tithing was God's lesson that everyone should be provided for. It was his way in the Old Testament to teach his people that he cares that everyone is taken care of, but also to begin to teach us about his own generous heart. And so Jesus, fulfilling the old law in his own way in God's kingdom, the early church realized that tithing and giving was both a stepping stone and a launching point to understanding God's generous heart. It's a stepping stone and it's a launching point. It's a stepping stone because it's a place to get to, and it's a kind of a place you can kind of stand for a while and kind of stay consistent in that. But then it's also a launching point because what we'll find in the New Testament is God actually calls us to do way more than 10% of our money. So here's some things that Jesus had to say about money. And in, in an interesting way, he always talks about money with our heart condition. It's always a sign of like our spiritual health in so many ways. So for example, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Jesus sort of knew that if you want to figure out your heart condition, follow your money, follow your stuff, follow your commitments and your values. Where, where, where's all your time being spent? Where's your money being spent? What, what kinds of things do you own? What kind of values do they have? Because Jesus knew, hey, If I just follow your treasure, I'll know where your heart is. I'll know what you really care about. In fact, just a few verses later in that same chapter, chapter 6, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so our generosity is sort of a decision point. Like, Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve money, or are you going to serve God? Because Jesus knew you can't Do both. So he starts there, but then, my goodness, as I was reading some of these, it made made me feel a little uncomfortable. I figured, well, I'll make all of you feel a little uncomfortable on Sunday. So, for example, Revelation chapter 3. This is to the church in Laodicea. So, this is Jesus speaking. He says in verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Anyone ever thought that? Said it? Maybe not quite that exact way, but have you ever thought, man, we're, we're great. We don't, we don't have to worry about anything. We've got plenty of money. And, you know, in the, in the status of the world, we are all rich. No matter what your income level is, no matter what your budget looks like, no matter what's in your bank account, we are all really rich compared to the rest of the world. And so Jesus is pretty spirit, serious about that. The very next verse he says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. So the church in Laodicea they are looking at all their wealth and their comfort and saying, man, we're good. We don't have to worry about anything. And what that reveals is actually they are blind to their own spiritual condition is you cannot serve both God and money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus has some strong things to say to them. One other place where Jesus has some pretty strong things to say is in Matthew 23 to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you stray out of a nap and swallow a camel. So the, the Pharisees were experts at tithing. I mean, they were so legalistic about tithing. They went, I don't know, you probably have a little, maybe like a windowsill garden at your house where you've got, you've got like a little basil plant, or a little mint plant, and every once in a while, you, you know, you take a little bit off and throw it, throw it in your meal that you're cooking at home. I mean, they were so legalistic. They went to their little garden and figured out what is 10% of this basil plant. How do you, I don't know how you do that. Do you count the, the leaves and the stems? Do you put it on your little kitchen scale and try to, I don't know. But they did it. And Jesus was not really thrilled that they were doing that. Now, he doesn't tell them to stop tithing. He tells them, but you better care about things that are more important. Because tithing is not just so much about the money you bring or the percentage or the amount. It's about what is it doing to your heart? And if you keep giving 10%, but you don't care about things like justice and mercy and faithfulness, you're missing God's point. So Jesus has some tough things to say. He also has, in a later sermon, he talks about when he returns, he's going to have these, he's going to split us into two groups, the sheep and the goats. And in this story, you want to be a sheep. You don't want to be a goat. And he says that the sheep, they get to go to heaven because what did the sheep do? They visited people in prison. They gave food to those who were hungry. They gave water to those who were thirsty. They clothed the naked. And the, the sheep were kind of surprised by this. Like, well, because Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And the sheep were like, well, Jesus, we never, we never saw you hungry. Like, we never, he's like, but whatever you did to them, you did for me. Because Jesus cares about all those people. And he turns to the goats and he says, well, the goats, you're going to eternal punishment because you didn't visit people in prison. You didn't clothe the naked. You didn't feed the hungry. And I go, well, Jesus, we never saw you. The assumption is if we saw you, of course, we would have fed you, Jesus. Of course, you're Jesus. But his point is whatever you do to other people, it's like you're doing it to me because Jesus cares about those people too. And so he makes this distinction that we can't be indifferent to other people. And when we give and we trust God with our finances, it's a way for us to grow our heart to not be indifferent towards people who are hurting, to not be indifferent towards the people we see who are really struggling, in particular with their finances. And Jesus tells a little parable of a guy who's a a poor beggar named Lazarus, and there's this rich man, nameless rich man. And Lazarus begs outside of the rich man's house. And they both die, as the story goes, and Lazarus goes to heaven, and the rich man is in hell. And part of the problem for the rich man is you had this poor beggar right outside of your front door and you did nothing about him. You never helped him. You could have easily helped him. He was right out front of your front door. And Jesus' point again is we cannot be indifferent to people who are hurting. And so we are generous and we give to help those who are in those situations. And what's so incredible is that God gives us a very practical solution to work on our heart condition. When we notice that our own our own faith and our heart doesn't seem to line up with God, he gives us the very practical thing of will change how you spend your money. You want to change your heart, change your finances. And it, it works for that. God partners with us in that. Alright, so for the really tough, uncomfortable verses. Because there actually are some really good verses, too, where Jesus tells us, here's what I'm going to do when you give. So for example. Matthew chapter 6, again, Jesus has this to say to us. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, don't, don't worry about that stuff because you have God. God cares about you. He will provide the things that you need. Just trust him. Seek first God's kingdom and every, you'll have everything else. If you seek first God's kingdom, God will take care of everything else for us. And I just have to tell you, for me personally, I remember in my early 20s, I was always incredibly anxious about money. Like, I would uh, open up my banking app on my cell phone and check my bank account multiple times a day, even if I had never, like, scanned a credit card or done anything. It was like, I would just keep looking, like, same number, three hours later, same number, oh, good. And, I, I mean, I would, I would keep myself up at night. I was just always worried about money, worried I was going to run out, worried, like, it just wasn't going to work out. And, of course, I was in college, didn't have a lot of income. You know how you know that is. But it even affected me to the point where I I wasn't generous at church. Like, I'll be honest with you, I did not tithe when I was a college student. I was like, I had all all the right excuses. I don't have enough money. I don't make enough. Like, I have enough things to cover on my own. I don't need to do this. But, of course, I was a Bible college student. So when you, you know, you're going to class four or five hours a day studying the Bible, you get a little convicted and challenged and encouraged. And so I realized I couldn't get around tithing in the Bible. I just couldn't. And all my excuses weren't very good excuses. Plus, I was like, well, I'm preparing to be a pastor. And if I'm going to preach and teach on this and I'm not doing it, what, what good is that? So I decided, all right, I'm going to try this. Because if I really believe in who God says he is, there's no better way for me to practice it than with my money. So I committed to tithing. And of course, in my early 20s, that wasn't very much. And, you know, it's gone up a little bit as job situations have changed and financial situations have changed. But I can tell you that after nearly nearly 10 years of tithing now, I'm not nearly as anxious about money as I used to be. And I actually trust God a whole lot more than I did in my early 20s. And I think a large part of it is because I committed to giving God money regularly. I think that just taught me, no, he, he actually does watch out for us. Because I did have some moments in my life where I got, I got a little worried about money, and somehow it just worked out. I don't know how. I can't explain it to you. I, I mean, I can, I can tell you there were some times in my life where somehow, I was like, the money's not going to be there. And the money somehow showed up. There are even times I looked at my bank account at the end of the month and looked at my budget, and my bank account went, that number's higher than it's supposed to be. And I'm not like I'll be honest, I'm not like an incredible accountant, so maybe maybe I made a mathematical error and I missed something, but I was like, it just like magically, like 100 or 200 extra dollars showed up in my bank account somehow, and I have no record of it, I don't know how this happened, but it happened, and now I can, I can afford what I need. And I've heard stories like that from all kinds of other people. Stories where people, they really needed a car, they didn't know how they were going to afford a car, and they go out to the mailbox one day, and there's an envelope with no name on it, no address on it, and there just happens to be a bunch of cash inside for a very exact amount. Like, you know, one person was like, you know, we needed a car, and we were about $938 short. And they go out to the mailbox one day, and they open up an envelope with $938 of cash. Even if you, okay, if you're going to be generous and and give somebody money, you wouldn't give them $938. You would round up or down, right? Like, you would give them 940. Like, the ATM spits out 20s. Like, how does that happen? But somehow God knows what we need, and he figures out ways to provide. And sometimes he wants to use us to meet those needs. He wants to get to use us in the process. So Jesus says, hey, don't worry. It'll be okay. I'm also reminded of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We don't give because we feel guilty. We don't give because we feel bad. We give because we love to give. Because we know how much God loves us and how he loves others. But then listen to what Paul says next. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, what Paul's saying here is You know, sometimes people take this a little sideways and we get into the health and wealth gospel. Paul's not saying that if you give to God, he's going to make you incredibly wealthy and super rich and you'll have everything you've ever wanted. No, but he's saying you'll be taken care of. And in fact, sometimes God will take care of you better than you think, better than you think you deserve. But Paul also says you'll have everything that you need. In fact, he goes on in verse 10 and says that God will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So not necessarily the harvest of your financial situation, but your righteousness, that the fruit that you produce as a follower of Jesus will be increased because you trust God financially. And then there's, uh, there's Hebrews 13.5, where the author writes, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You can trust God with your money because he's he's always there. Or Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6 he says but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing we will be content with that. Can you be content with just food and clothing? I mean I struggle with that because you know I, I like my big screen TV to watch the Kansas City Chiefs play, and I like, I like having internet, I like having subscriptions to Netflix and ESPN and Disney Plus and all the other things. But Paul's like, you know, if we just have food and clothing, we just got the basics. Godliness breathes contentment, that we're okay with what we have. One time uh, I, heard a, I heard a preacher say, there's two ways you can be rich. One is to have a lot of money, and one is to not need a lot of money. Get to pick. Which way do you want to do it? And then there's, there's this passage back in Malachi chapter three, where God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, God said, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Now, here's what I want you to notice. In the Bible, God tells us, do not test him. But in this verse, this is the only time God says we can test him. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Sometimes I don't know if we really believe that. Because it all belongs to God. So God says, this is how you're robbing me. This is how you're stealing from me. You don't trust me. I'm the one who's given you that job. I'm giving you the success. I've given you the money. I've given you everything you have. And if you can't trust to return some of it back to me for my kingdom, you're robbing from me. But the verse, it's really harsh, and then it spins very positively. But he says, you want to test me? Give give me money. Give me your money and see what I can do. Because it's all his. And sometimes I think we don't know what it's like to depend on God because we've never put ourselves in a position to need to depend on God. And so tithing, it's a stepping stone, but it's also a launching point. So there's there's two stories that I want to read to kind of help us summarize this and put this all together. The first one is when Jesus encounters a rich young ruler. And the story goes like this. That's easy. Ever since, ever since Sunday school as a little kid, easy. Never talked back to my parents, never lied, never cheated, never stealed, never murdered. I'm good. Jesus looked at him, and noticed this, and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go. <laughs> Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God because you cannot serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's so interesting that Jesus looks at this man and he says, I know what you're lacking. Your master really is your money. So if you want to follow me, you're going to have to get rid of your wealth first. And we would assume the rich man goes away sad because he's not going to do it. He's not going to follow Jesus, even though he wanted to. Then there's one other story in Mark that's actually just a couple of chapters later. And it's sort of the end bracket in this. If we were to kind of zoom out of Matthew, there's the rich young ruler. And then Mark strategically places this other story in chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. So here's what you need to know about the temple. There was this really big uh, bronze or brass container that was kind of sort of shaped like a trumpet. So when you threw your money in, everybody could hear it. You know, you get this cool sound effect like, it would rain out. So, I mean, it's strategic. Like if you're going to bring, let's say, $100, you should get that in pennies. And so all these rich people come in and throw in large amounts. Verse 42 But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Can you imagine it? Jesus watching, and you hear. And probably, would that be embarrassing? Everyone look, oh, that's it? That's all that's all you brought to church today? But here's what Jesus says. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And The reason I want to end with these two stories is because don't feel proud because of the size of your tithes and offerings. you, it may seem like a really big amount, but God may go, "That's, that's nothing. And at the same time, don't feel disgraced by the size of your tithes and offerings because God may know you're the biggest giver in this church, even though it's a few dollars. And the difference that Jesus makes between this woman and everybody else is that she gives out of her poverty. She gives out of the fact that she doesn't have anything. But everybody else gives out of their wealth, which probably means they're not really hurting after they put their money in the offering. They're fine. But this woman, she has totally put herself in a position where she has to trust on God. She's decided to make that, and Jesus commends her for it. But what I want you to notice about both of these characters, both the rich young ruler and this poor widow, is that Jesus does not commend or command either of them to tithe knows that. He doesn't say to the rich young ruler, go give 10% to your local church and then come follow me. He says, no, go sell everything and then come follow me. And he doesn't commend the poor widow for tithing. He commends her for putting all she has in. And sometimes I think we need to hear these words of Jesus because these are two of the passages that I have heard and read the most as I've studied of passages that people try to explain away. Like, well, these don't really apply to us. Like, Jesus was only saying this to the rich young man. He's the only one who needed to hear it, which I think that's kind of silly because John says there's so many stories of Jesus that there aren't enough books in the whole world to contain them all. So if this story was only for the rich young man, why not pick another story, Mark, that would be helpful to us? But see, sometimes I think we need to hear what Jesus says. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And sometimes we need to hear what he says to the rich about the rich, this young widow, this poor widow, where he says, she gave more than everybody else. It's not about the zeros, it's not about the dollar amount, it's about something so much bigger than that. It's about the condition of your heart. And so, tithing is a stepping stone to learn about the God who sacrificed everything for us and wants us to know love like that. So it's a stepping stone because if you don't give a whole lot or if you've never given before, you don't give very regularly, tithing is a great place to work towards because it's a stepping stone. Because 10% to an extent is equally challenging for all of us, no matter what our income level or financial situation is. But it's also a launching point. So let me tell you how to do that, how to make it a stepping stone and how to make it a launching point. So... If you want to make sure your allegiance is really to Jesus and not to your money, and if you want to discover a deeper trust in God, here's how you can work on your financial life and being faithful to God with your finances. So step one is to figure out where you are. All right, so some of you love math, some of you don't. For those of you who love math, I have a math formula for you. You can literally just plug, plug this in. My math teachers used to say plug and chug, whatever. You can plug in your numbers. So you just take the amount you gave last year times your annual income, or excuse me, divided by your annual income, divided by 100%. There you go, giving percent. So, and some of you, you may just have to figure out like, how much did I give last year? So take the amount you give, divided by your income, that will give you a percentage number. If you're not good at moving the decimals, take it times 100. That's your percent. And for some of you, you may, you may just have to figure out, well, how much have we given? Or how much am I giving? Like maybe you really don't know because it's sporadic or it's, you just kind of reach into your pocket and whatever's in your wallet, that's what you're throwing in and you have no idea. So you may have to start there. But after you figure out where you are, I want you to ask yourself this question. Why do I give this amount? And then I want you to ask yourself why five times. I want you to be like your kid who's like, why is the sky blue? Because it reflects light from the ocean. Well, why? Because uh, of the angle. Well, why? Well, and you're like, well, because God made it that way. Why? And you just are like, well, go ahead and I don't know, ask him, right? We say why a lot. So I want you to ask yourself why at least five times. And every time have a different answer. Because you need to go deeper. You need to be able to go deeper. And so for you, that might start with, well, why do I give that amount? Well, because it's 10%. That's what God said to do, so that's what I do. But they say, okay, well, why do I give that? Well, because I want to obey God. Okay, well, why do I want to obey God? Well, why do I do that? Well, why do I do that? And after answering that question two or three times, you may find out you have some really good answers. Or you may find out your answers don't really fit with God's heart. And you may have to make some adjustments. That's step number one. Step number two, commit to your next giving step. So here's what that looks like. If you aren't giving at all, start. Just start. Start even if it's like a dollar a week or whatever, just start somewhere and then build your way up to the tithe. Because you may have to practically make some changes to your budget or, or do some things to get there, but just start and build as fast or as slow as you think you need to. And if you are tithing, or if you are giving rather, if you're already giving, but you're not tithing, work to the tithe. Because I think the tithe from the Old Testament is still a very practical way for us to kind of challenge ourselves, and trust the Lord? Can, can, we get to that, can we at least get to that 10% mark? And if you already are tithing, here's the thing about the New Testament. The tithe is not the end point. The tithe is a stepping stone, and it's a launching point. So consider giving more, or consider maybe occasionally some very radical things. Because you go back to Acts chapter 4, and what did those early Christians do? they sold land, they sold houses, they sold property so that the church could help meet the needs of people in the community and in the church. So maybe for you that'll look like you've got to do something that sounds kind of crazy. And in our world and in our culture, that's not how we're taught to operate, right? You might do that and people go, that's ridiculous. Like the return of the investment on that property would be, you know, whatever over 10 years. Like, how come you're selling it now? But following God's enough doesn't make sense to the rest of our world that wants more and better. So consider how you can move yourself up in those steps. And then step three is follow through. So if you say, okay, here's what we need to give to be giving 10%, figure out what is that amount every week, what is that amount every month, and then just follow through on it. And here's step four, follow Jesus. Because I find it interesting that the order that Jesus talks to the rich young ruler, he does not say come follow me, then go sell your stuff. He says, sell your stuff, give it to the poor, then come follow me. I think Jesus knew where that man's heart really was and where his allegiance really was. So you might find that too and discover that you've got to give some things up financially to follow God. So then follow Jesus and continue to follow Jesus and continue to trust him. Because I'm really thankful that Jesus didn't tithe. You notice that? I mean, yeah, he followed the laws. He paid the temple tax. He did all that. But he didn't tithe. 10% of him was not baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, 10% of him was not tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He wasn't 10% present with his disciples and like 90% thinking about other things. 10% of his compassion was not poured out on the crowds when he noticed they were like sheep without a shepherd. And 10% of him did not die on that cross. All of him died on that cross. so That he could save all of us. That's what God wants us to understand, and he uses our money to help us get that message. That if he would do all of that for us, and he's going to provide us, as Jesus teaches over and over, treasures in heaven that he will pour out, so He's like, go ahead, test me. I'll pour out so many blessings, you won't, you won't have enough room for them. But do we trust him that much? Do we really believe he did that for us? And so it really practically, the rubber meets the road with how you use your money. Because God is the most generous being in the universe. And he wants us to know what that's like. Not just from him but when we get to be generous like that to others. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word and your teachings and your example. And I'm so thankful that you died on the cross to save us from all of our sins. And I'm so thankful that you rose from the grave, conquering death and giving us victory in your name. And I'm thankful that you promised to come back and to bring us to be with you forever. So Father, through your Holy Spirit, challenge us when we are prideful about our finances or we are selfish or we are greedy or we are just too consumed with what we want and what we think that we need. Convict us when we are indifferent to those around us who are in need, Father, and you've put us in a position to help. Challenge us where we don't really maybe trust you or have the faith in you like we could or we should. And God, help us to take those practical steps because we live in a world where money is highly valued and we all have things to spend money on. We all have financial challenges that we face. And so I pray you would help us wrestle with you and how we can show that we trust you with our finances. Help us not be robbing you, but instead be generous And model your heart, your generous heart, for the whole world. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray.